Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of Philemon. This can be found in page 1060 in the Pew Bible in front of you. Page 1060. This is Paul's plea for Onesimus. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, one who is unprofitable to you, but is now profitable to you and me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It's wonderful to hear the encouraging news that our, we have a sister baptized into Christ in the work in Brazil, and continue to pray for the team, and we're thankful for the good that is being done there uh, with the Fowlers all the time, and then with the team that's working there now. And of course, we want to continue to pray for the selection of our elders, and we are thankful that you as a congregation have been involved in this. And let's continue to pray about this wonderful time period in the life of our congregation. This month, we've been thinking about reaching souls. Perhaps one of the most encouraging things that a spiritual-minded person can ever be involved in is knowing that they had something to do with someone becoming a Christian. It really is exciting to know that in that we're working in partnership with God. Remember the very last line of the Great Commission. The very last line dealt with, and lo, I am with you always, even in the end of the earth. It's wonderful to think that we can impact, we can have something to do with the impact of one standing on the day of judgment. And, and hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Won't it be amazing to stand there and watch others hear that and know, you know, I prayed for them. I invited them. I encouraged them. And so this month, we've been urging you each week to do something, say something. And so a couple of weeks ago, everybody received little cards to give invitations. And we hope you do this all the time. But the plea then was say something. Go out and speak a good word for the Lord. Plant a seed. Then last week, we said say something more as everybody received a take root book. And in that was the idea of what if somebody comes back to you and says, I would like to learn more. Could you sit down and study with them? Is that something you want to learn how to do? And so that is one tool that is available. And Philip did a tremendous job in writing that and last Sunday night and even teaching us how to use it. But today we want to invite you to do even more. Today we want to encourage you to write something. If you're sitting on the end of a pew, we want you to take the cards that are there. And please note that it's not only cards, but it's cards and envelopes. And if you will, take a card and envelope and pass it down. And then when, when you have done that, if you will, pass those back 
to the ends of the aisles again or to the ends of the pew so that next service they'll be all at the ends of the pews again for everybody, no matter which side of the pew that they're sitting on. We'll talk more in a little bit about this card. I want you to go ahead and have it in your hand. As a matter of fact, you may want to set it beside because it's going to be toward the end of the lesson. But, but have it available so that when we look at it again in a little bit, uh, you can read it along and you can think about who you're going to send that to and, and what difference might it make if you wrote something. Write something. Why? What is the power of writing? Have you stopped and considered how much you know about individuals or how much individuals know about you? What you think about them, how you care for them? Have you thought about just basic instruction and basic knowledge? Have you thought about how much you know each day because someone has written it and you have taken the time to read it? It'd be neat to create a list like this of what do you read in a day. You know, there's some people that would say, oh, I'm not a reader. Well, I, you may not camp out reading novels, but still, do you realize how much you do every day that involves reading? I just quickly this week typed out a list of what a lot of people read every day that other people have written. Other people have written, and perhaps you read websites, blogs, articles, instructions, manuals, books, magazines, emails, text, tweets, novels, scripture, e-messengers, pay stubs, signage, street numbers, menus, letters, cards, prescription bottles, maps, tickets, recipes, bylaws, contracts, offers, and I literally quit. I thought I could sit here all day. Do you have any idea how powerful the written message is? So much of what we do is a result of what we have learned through reading. So much of what we know about each other, how we even feel about each other, is a result of what has been written. How powerful can writing a message be? It happened uh, several months ago, but it's just becoming world news this past week. Did you read about the oldest message in a bottle that has ever been discovered? Until recently, it was 99 years old, but you see one has just been found just in the last few months that is 108 years old. There's a British scientist whose name was George Parker Bitter III. And he wanted to study the, the currents in the North Sea. And so what he did was he put out a thousand bottles with messages in them and the bottles were clear and the instructions were folded so that you could begin reading the instructions through the bottle. And the instructions told you to break the bottle. And then inside that, you were told to contact, based on where you found the bottle, contact the Marine Biological Association in Plymouth and let them know where you found that bottle and they will send you, are you ready? A shilling. Isn't that wonderful? And you know this lady, Mariana Winkler, that found this 108-year-old bottle? 
she sent back the contact of, hey, I found one of your bottles to the association. And you know, they got on eBay and they found a shilling and they purchased it and they sent it to her to hold up to their end of the bargain. Now you look at that and you say, what is the power of something being written? Well, what's interesting, when something is written, the message is protected. Isn't that interesting that that message was written 108 years ago, but yet it was still found 108 years later and everything that was tried to be communicated 108 years ago was what? Still communicated today. You want to protect a message? You want it to go beyond just saying it today verbally? Put it down in writing, and as long as it is maintained in that written form, that same message is always communicated. You know what else writing does? Writing clarifies things. How many times have you talked with someone and you realized, okay, later you realized what I was saying was not what they were hearing? Isn't it interesting how oftentimes, though, when you sit down and you say, let's just put it down on paper, how you'll begin writing it and someone will say, oh, now I see what you meant. That's why it's so important for us to do things with written contracts. Say two parties are 1,000% honest and you say, well, we don't need a written contract. For clarity's sake, it's really good because oftentimes when we write things, we're more precise and that clarity brings about something very important. You see maybe why God gave us a written word of God? It protects it. It comes down through the generations. It's clear. You can go back. But then also what's neat about something that's written is just that fact. You can go back and use it as reminders over and over. For example, I know some of you say, oh, I, I could tell you. But I, I wonder if we took a poll right now and I said, how many of you know the place that you're supposed to return the point of identity if you found a note in the bottle. I told you. I communicated it to you real clearly just a moment ago. Now many of you are saying, I, I can't remember that name. Biological Marine Association. But you know what? If it was written, if it was written, and someone said, hey, where are you supposed to contact? You'd be, oh, oh, it's, it's right here. You just send it back right here. Isn't it amazing how God has given us a written word that has preserved itself because it's written? And I don't mean itself as in God has had nothing to do with it. I believe God has protected his word. But you see what I mean about it being written. That message is preserved in that way. The clarity of it because it's written. And also the fact that now it serves as a powerful reminder. Wouldn't it be a horrible thing if someone said, this afternoon, gather together, I'm going to read to you over the next few hours the New Testament, and that's the last time you'll ever hear it or see it. Can you imagine the tragedy that would be? But what a blessing we can go back and have those reminders. Again, just by introduction... I want to share with you a few places in Scripture before we go to that wonderful example of Philemon. How powerful is the written word? Look in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, Paul wanted to go to them in person, but he knew or was afraid that he wasn't going to be able to go 
quickly to them. And so he says about, I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I what? I write. I write so that you may know. Paul, wait a minute. What are you doing? Paul says, if you can't go in person, send a written message because that's a powerful way for your message to get there. Now notice also as we read Ephesians 3, verse 3 and 4, we have another lesson about something being written. The apostle Paul didn't learn the word of God, at least the part that comes through the mystery of the gospel of the New Testament through the written word. Now the apostle Paul would have learned the Old Testament scriptures through the written word. But the, the mystery that was revealed that redemption was going to be through Jesus Christ and that the Jews and the Gentiles were going to come together in this one body. All of that mystery was a part of the revelation that was given to him. But notice, he knew that the people that he was ministering to did not understand that. So notice the parentheses here as he talks about that mystery. He says in verse three in the parentheses, I have briefly written already by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge. He says, listen, right now I'm not there in person with you. And I know this, because of the knowledge that's been given to me, my understanding is on one page. Your understanding right now is something different. I'm going to take and I'm going to write down what my understanding is so that when you read it, now you can have the same knowledge I have. Can't be there in person. We're on different pages. I'm going to write it down so we'll be on the same page. And then finally of introduction here, look over to Peter's words in 2 Peter. We studied 2 Peter the third chapter two weeks ago and we'll read the beginning of that chapter in just a moment. But I want to remind you what Peter says in 2 Peter 1 and 13. Uh, those of you that, that maybe are, are a little bit older and you're thinking about beyond your life on this earth, what could you do? What could you be aware of? Notice what Peter says here in 2 Peter 1 and 13. Yes, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent. He's talking about as long as I'm alive in this body to stir you up by what? Reminding you, what's the word when it's written do? It reminds you, knowing that shortly I must put off this tent. In other words, I'm gonna die just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Remember John 21? Jesus showed him by spreading his arms how he was going to die. And Peter says, I know that I'm still going to die the way Jesus said I was. And so I'm not going to be in this tent for long. Verse 15, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Peter, how are you going to do that? How are you going to give messages to those people you love after you die? Well, look how he begins the third chapter in verse one. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle. And then parentheses, he says, by the way, that's why I wrote the first epistle too, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Can't be there in person, but we need to be there on the same page. And not only do we need to be on the same page once, but I want you to be able to go back and read this time and time again. I have a file in my filing cabinet. And during some of the major transitions in my life, my mother has taken what I suppose would take hours to write a long, in-depth letter of encouragement and of her prayers for me during those times in my life. Oh, there's not a, it's not a thick file. But I still sometimes can go back 
and I can glean from great wisdom. I can bask in great love because her sentiments during that time of my life have been written. I'm not there in person, but I'd like to share some things so that we're on the same page. And I'm going to write it so that you can go back and reread them in the years to come. Sounds a whole lot like what God did. And sounds a whole lot like the opportunity you and I have every day. The power of something being written. Perhaps one of, and I'm not trying to get into a, hey, let's vote and debate. But just let me casually say this. Perhaps one of the greatest examples of the power of writing is that one page in your Bible that we call the book or the letter of Philemon. It's kind of unusual for it to be a book in the Bible, if you will, because it's very personal. It's, it's, it's a letter where Paul literally is, is just writing to a good friend. And, and it's, it's short, very focused in why it's being written. And yet in this, this morning, I hope that we can gain much of the reasons God would have had his Holy Spirit to inspire this writing. But especially this morning, I want you to ask yourself this as you study it. Why was it so powerful for that message to be written? What is it that I need to learn about the power of writing a message? And what is it that I could do this week that just might be one of those powerful times in someone's life because someone loved them enough to invest time, their heart, their prayer, their encouragement, and their hope in someone else. So with that in mind, let's think just briefly of what is this message of Philemon. And if you haven't turned there, if you will, please be turning there. The first thing we see about this little message of Philemon is we see that it was addressed to Philemon. And we don't have a slide on this one. Uh, we will later on in just a moment. But if you have your Bible open, just notice verse 1. It starts out about Paul, prisoner of Christ, Jesus and Timothy, our brother. But notice the very next line. Who, uh, who is this being written to? To Philemon. Okay, let's, let's just kind of play dumb for a moment. Okay, I don't, I don't know Philemon. Who, who is this man Philemon? Paul says, let me tell you who this man is. Our beloved friend, our fellow laborer, to the beloved Apthia, which we believe that's probably his wife, and Archippus, which is possibly his son, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. So who is this man? You know, he could speak to many people around the world that day and call them a fellow laborer because they were Christians. They worked in the same kingdom. Just like I'll, I'll go to a lectureship in, in a few hours and, and there'll be several thousand there. And I'll run into people that we're all fellow laborers. And some of us will shake hands for the very first time and meet each other. And others of us will say, I saw you last year. Good to see you again. But what if I told you I'd like to write a letter to not only a fellow laborer, but to a beloved friend. Now that's different, isn't it? 
This isn't just somebody I occasionally shake hands with. This isn't just someone that, oh, so you're a faithful Christian. That's great. We work in the same kingdom. Paul's saying, I'm writing someone who is a dear, close friend to me. Yes, we're fellow laborers, but this is my beloved friend. And also, this man was a man probably of means. He had a house, and he had a house that apparently was large enough to be able to house the church there of Colossae. And so this dear friend that was close to him was being written to by Paul. Now you notice there again at the beginning, Paul identified himself as a prisoner of Rome. Are you reading? He didn't, did he? Isn't it interesting that Paul was a prisoner in Rome? but you won't hear him hardly ever describe himself as a prisoner of Rome. He looked at whatever he experienced in life as the opportunity to serve the Lord and it was the Lord's will be done. And so if he was being held in chains, he was going to be a prisoner of the Lord. And if he was a free man, he was going to be a free man of the Lord. Everything in his life was about the Lord. Now, it's interesting to think, well, how did these two individuals meet? You remember when he was in Ephesus? He was there for about three years. And remember, it's in Acts that we learn that all of Asia was reached during his time in Ephesus. That causes us to believe that more than likely, that's when these two met. Maybe Philemon was a man of means. It would have been very easy for him to travel and to stay gone from home if that was his desire. He may have come over and met Paul and they may have spent extended time together for him to learn about Christianity. It may have been that Paul went over and stayed in his house from time to time because we know at the end of this letter, Paul invites himself to his house and says, get the room ready. I, it's almost as if whenever I get out of uh, house arrest or prison here, I want to come back your way and I, I want to stay in your house. And so we, we see this relationship that we don't know exactly where it started, but we know that there were times that they lived in the same vicinity and we know that they went back to the same heritage and same faith. And we know from other writings in here that Paul strongly insinuates, I had a lot to do with you becoming a Christian. All right, but why is he writing? Well, there is this third individual that's a strong part of this letter, and that's Onesimus. And Onesimus was a slave of Philemon, and he was a runaway slave. And then again, reading between the lines, there was a very good chance that when he ran away, he probably stole some money or something of value as he went away. Because remember, when Paul sends him back, he offers to compensate for the losses that were incurred in his running away. And so whether it was just saying, hey, you've lost a laborer and I want to pay you for that loss, or if it was, hey, when he ran away, he, he took things with him as a way to fund his journey running away. And, and so we have this runaway slave. And, and to go ahead and put this in the context of the setting, on this next slide, Look how far apart they were. Listen, when this guy ran away, he ran away. You know what I'm saying? He didn't just run to the other side of Colossae. And he didn't just run. Hey, I tell you what, I'll just go 10 miles up the road and, and grow a thick beard and maybe nobody will recognize me. I'm talking all the way to Rome. Now keep in mind that there was also someone else there in Rome. 
under arrest in Paul. And so it's interesting that way back in that area of Colossae, at one time, those three men dwelt together. And now two of them are a long way from Colossae. And when one ends up needing to go back, Paul probably would have loved to go with him and to verbally given that message to Philemon. But he couldn't because he was under arrest. So what would the next best thing be? When you can't go in person, let me send a message that is written. And that's how we get the letter of Philemon. As we think about that, it is pure speculation of really how they met to begin with. And it's also pure speculation of, okay, when Paul ended up in Rome and Onesimus ended up in Rome, how did they get together? And it's kind of neat to play that game of, I wonder if this happened or I wonder if something else happened, but it's all speculation. It's, it's conjured up and, and, and we don't know. I tell you what I sometimes wonder, and I wish I had time to really draw this out because I think it makes some good application, but we just don't have time right now to do that. But I, I sometimes wonder if it wasn't kind of like, and I know there's some, if it's kind of like a Luke 15, the prodigal son example. He stole probably enough money to get away from a house and a situation he didn't want to be in. And he went on a far journey and probably as long as the money lasted, he was probably doing pretty good. This is all conjured up, okay? Don't leave here and say, we know the background. I wonder if the money ran out and he found himself on the bottom. Because keep in mind, if you're a Roman runaway slave, scourgings, even up to the point of execution was allowed. It wasn't going to be a pretty thing if he was caught. So he's probably out of money. He's fearful of being caught, but some way, perhaps, verse 15, perhaps it was the providence of God. Perhaps that's what led him toward Rome where the apostle Paul was. It'd be very easy to assume that it's possible that they already knew each other. If he knew his master, there's no reason why he wouldn't have known the servant in the house. And I just think of the times, and, and I'm thankful these, these, I'm thankful that we're there to help each other. I'm not thankful someone is feeling like they're on the bottom. But I'm just saying I'm thankful anytime someone feels like, you know, I can reach out for help. And I think about the time someone walks into the office and they really feel like they're on the bottom and they're just grasping. David, can you help me? Do you know anybody that can help me? I've reached the bottom. Can you help me? I just wonder if that's kind of what Onesimus might have been going through. Yeah, it's pure speculation. But I just wonder if he didn't walk up to Paul and Paul be like, what are you doing here? Did Philemon send you here with a message? I just wonder if his head was low. Philemon doesn't know I'm here. I've run away. You what? I've run away. And I'm on the bottom. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I always know how good you were to my master. And I always saw what a good man you were. And so when I thought, who could I turn to that would really help me? I heard that you were here. 
and I figured I would turn to you. Oh, I don't know how it went. That might have not gone anything like this, but I know this, those two got together. And what came out of that was something beautiful. And the letter that was written was also something beautiful. And so he writes this letter because Paul has the opportunity to meet Onesimus again in Rome. He has the opportunity to convert him to Christ. And then he has the opportunity, keep in mind, our conversion is just the beginning. And you can imagine this kind of talk from Paul. Onesimus, now that you're a Christian, what is the right thing for you to do? <laughs> Paul, you're not really going to suggest, yes, I am. You really think I ought to go back? I think it's the right thing to do. Oh, I will be, I'll be crucified. Well, it's still the right thing to do, but maybe I could help you there. I tell you what, give me some time to think and write and pray about this, and I want to give you a letter to take back with you. What did he write? On this next slide, I want you to see a list here of, of things that he tried to do. He tried to make an appeal. He tried to offer instruction. All of this is done in this letter. He tried to recall the spiritual significance of the situation. He expressed closeness. This is Paul to Philemon. He extended compensation. He renewed hope. In just the next few minutes, will you read not every verse, but several of the verses and just note these things. In other words, we're going to let Philemon teach itself, if you will, and then the lesson is yours. Notice the appeal. Look at verse 8. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. In other words, I'm an apostle. I could command you. Yet for love's sake. In other words, I know your heart and you know my heart. So for love's sake, Paul says, Philemon, I'd rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. See, he's become a Christian, and Paul was the one that taught him, and he's looking at him as a son. He says, whom I've begotten while in my chains. Isn't it a wonderful thing to have something to do with someone becoming a Christian? And now that that's happened, Paul says, I'm not dropping my son. I'm not going to let him go out and, and let unfaithfulness destroy him. I'm trying to get him to do the right thing. And I make the appeal to you. Will you help him do the right thing? He's coming home. That's not going to be easy. My appeal to you is this instruction. Look at the very next verse, two verses, 11 and 12. Here's the instruction. Who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is the crux. That is the core of all of this little short letter. Everything is about how are you going to receive him? And he says, receive him. That is my own heart. The very next verse, he says, I'd love to keep him, but it's not my right to keep him. He's your slave. In other words, he's saying, he's such a benefit to me. I know he can be a benefit to you. He's changed. He's converted. He's a child of God. I'm giving you instruction. Please receive him. Don't crucify him. Receive him. And here's the spiritual significance. Look at 15. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. Not just on this earth. You could have something to do with his eternity. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Remember, that's how he, Paul, described Philemon. You're my beloved brother, my beloved friend. I want this man to be beloved to you, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. 
And then Paul expresses the closeness that he feels toward him. Look at verse 17. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. He's implying there, I count you as a partner. Do you see me as a partner in the same way? And look, if you see us partners in the kingdom, let me tell you what God has given me the opportunity to be a part of. There's this work in progress called Onesimus. That's my kingdom work right now. And I'm asking you, will you join me in partnership to help this guy get to heaven? What better reason to write? What better reason to write? My motive is I'm writing to you to invite you to be a partner with me of helping him get to heaven. Wouldn't it be neat to write with a motive? I just want to help you get to heaven. I want to encourage you. If it requires compensation, look at verse 18 and 19. He put it in writing. But if he has wronged you or owes anything... Put that on my account. And keep in mind, this is why he says, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Don't we do that today? Hey, uh, you owe me $1,000. You can pay it in three months. I tell you what, let's go ahead and put that in writing. In three months, I will pay you $1,000. Sign David. That's what he's doing here. He's literally saying, you want to make this official? If he owes you money, you say, but he's stolen from me. I will pay it back and here, it is in writing. You have a copy of it. I'll pay you. But then notice, he turns right back around and he says, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. He's writing a man of means. And Paul's a missionary that sometimes had to work building tents just to survive. And he says, by the way, I mean it. It's in writing. If you want me to pay what he cost you, I will pay it. But can I also remind you, what's your soul worth? Because the last time I checked, I had a lot of influence on you becoming a Christian. So surely you owe me something. And so if you just want to count it a wash there, hey, Paul, thank you for teaching me the gospel and to pay you back, I'm going to accept Onesimus back and I'm going to do everything I can do to encourage him. You see the shrewdness there? How different would the kingdom be if every person that's a Christian took advantage of every resource, opportunity, and network they had to share the gospel of Jesus? That's what Paul does here. And so notice the hope that he closes with. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. This is why I'm writing. I know you're going to receive him. I know you're going to obey. I know you're going to do the right thing. I know this about you. I know you'll go even beyond what is required of you. In other words, you won't seek the minimum. You'll be gracious to him. You'll be merciful to him. I know that you know how the Lord deals with us. And I believe that you'll deal with him in a similar manner. Why do we write? I want to encourage you to write something. And I want to encourage you to think about someone 
that when you look around, you miss them. If I said right now, who's the first person that comes to your mind when you think, you know, so-and-so used to be here all the time and I miss them. Somebody used to be here, but they must be discouraged. They must be hurting. And maybe your next thought is, I haven't really said much. I haven't really done much. Wouldn't this be a neat opportunity to say, you know what? I just want to connect with you again. And I want to just let you know how close I feel to you and how much I love you. And how I'm willing to compensate. I'm willing to do whatever I can do to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. The reason we put that little note at the bottom there was because our hope and our prayer is that a thousand of these will go out this week. And we would expect some people to receive more than one. And so that little note is down there so everybody knows that receives one of these. Hey, we were all asked on Sunday, who comes to your mind that you want to encourage? It reads real simple. Sometimes the road less traveled needs to be traveled more. Just wanting to travel it today to say hello. And that side was intentionally left blank all the way down so that you'll have plenty of room to write. Why? Because writing is powerful. Writing will sometime accomplish more than what can ever be said verbally. Luke 15 tells us to leave the 99 and go after the one. This might be a really good first step in going after someone to let them know you love them. I love the idea of God writing to us. And maybe you have learned enough of this message to know what God's will is for you. And so we close every lesson with an invitation. And if you know what God's will is for you and you know that you've read his writings and you want to be immersed into Christ, we would love to assist you with that this morning as a believer that's willing to repent and confess Jesus. Maybe you've begun that journey and along the way you've lost sight of that journey, but you read how much the Lord loves you and how he's willing to extend his grace again and again. We'd love to pray with you and for you as you repent and confess sin. I want to encourage you to be fervently in prayer, to write some and to pray some more, and to write some and pray again, and to send that card sometime over the next few days. Please don't put it off. And pray that God's will be done. If we can help you this morning in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.